We're confronted with this reality today on The Balanced Word. If you are being faithful, you are going to suffer. His image of the church is not of this great growing, that whole idea of the church growing, growing, growing to take over the world. That's not from Jesus. That's actually from people, post-millennialists, who teach that if we get big enough, then Jesus will return. No, we know. It's going to be bad until the end. Jesus made that clear. And when it looks like it's all over, boom, he's going to come and he's taking care of things. You don't like that? I'm sorry. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and it's all to Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel welcomes you to The Balanced Word. Today, Pastor Dave Rolfe resumes his series in Revelation 2 and 3 as we conclude our look at the Lord's letter to the church in Pergamum. This particular church was like many churches today, but started as a small drip of false teaching has turned into a flood of deceit. They were compromising. The solution to the problem hasn't changed over the last 2,000 years. Let's find out what Jesus has to say on the matter. Here's Pastor Dave with today's study in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Back in Acts chapter 6, when the church was just forming, and they said, we need some deacons who can kind of help run things and keep things going. And they listed seven guys who were filled with the Spirit and had a heart to serve the Lord and everything. The first one listed was Stephen. And then there were six other guys. The last one listed was Nicholas of Antioch, who was a proselyte who had then become proselyted to Judaism and then had become a Christian. So the church history tells us as early as late first century, early second century, that this Nicholas had compromised the faith Partly as a result to, if you're like on the list of demons, and first you're all excited, woo, yeah, I made the top seven. And then number one gets stoned to death. You're like, maybe we better make some plans to make this a little less offensive. Stephen got up there, and some people even look at Stephen's message and go, you can tell he was a deacon and not an elder because he was really, he could be pretty blunt. He got, he got killed for it. So Nicholas started thinking, how can we make our faith a little bit more friendly? And he figured out right away that people don't object to spiritual stuff. They don't want you actually to say that someone literally rose from the dead. So he began to apparently, and the Nicolaitans promoted this in a huge way, the idea that it's all about a spiritual Jesus. It's not so much... The real guy is really God. It's, it's that he had divine essence. And then some of them believed that Jesus wasn't even actually a person at all. He was just a spiritual presence. It led later, by the, by the second century, the Nicolaitans had developed into, you know, a, a vast perspective on, you know, that here we look at all of life as being, it's really just the essence that matters. And, and the physical, not such a big deal. Now, obviously, that makes you a lot more popular. If you can just do whatever you want with your life, 
But as long as you have this spiritual essence that you're okay, who wants to make somebody like that a martyr? You're like, oh, cool. We can get along with him. As long as he's saying, hey, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and everything is fine. And so it led by the second century into what was called Gnosticism, the primary you know, theological error in church history for the most part. Well, it started from Nicholas because of his pragmatism. So Jesus is saying, I saw what happened. Balaam tried to make things better by compromising and going, look, you can just, you can be connected culturally, it's fine. And then Nicholas, the same thing, going, no reason to make yourself a target. Just realize that all faiths can kind of get along and work together and we have ours and they have theirs and nobody gets hurt and nobody gets offended. Jesus seemed very concerned about this because in verse 16, he says, repent. Again, that word means you better change the way you're thinking, metanoia. Meta meaning with or a developing change and noia meaning the mind. It's the idea that if you keep thinking the way that you're thinking with this compromise, it's going to destroy you. Start thinking fresh or else I will come to you quickly with my two-edged sword and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. He said, I'm the guy who's coming to you with a sword. And now he says, if you keep this compromise up, I'm going to come and I'm bringing a sword with me. I'm going to make a difference. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. If you can resist this, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Okay, remember the children of Israel were given manna when they were out in the desert and nobody would feed them and they didn't have sources for food. God took care of them. Why would he say this to people here where food was abundant? Well, that's a part of persecution. If you're being persecuted, if they think that you are offensive, if they think that you are a part of what's wrong with this world, then they, you can't get a job anymore. What are you going to do? You're like, man, I used to be a nurse at the great temple of Asclepion, and now they don't want me because I'm like, this is offensive to me. So what do you do? Everyone who lived in this city worked in the tourism industry. And if all of a sudden you're taking a stand against Satan and his throne, now it's hard. So he goes, I'll feed you. Don't worry about that. That's going to, I fed the children of Israel with manna and I have hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. There are several different possible explanations of this, but we know that in that era, in that area, they, one of the things they would do to be special was they would get a polished stone, a little white stone, and they would write an encouraging message on it, and they would give it to someone, and they would hang on to that. They would hold it with them, and they would find that it was encouraging. We kind of do, I mean, that's what greeting cards are in a lot of ways. Or I, you know, 
I had a friend who gave me a, a stone that I have on my desk, and it, it says trust on it. The solidness of a stone, the value of trust. It's like, it's a good reminder when I see it. I have another stone at, at my desk at home that one of my grandkids gave me, and it's encouraging too. It says, everybody must get stoned, Dylan. <laughs> That encourages me when I realize people are going to be throwing rocks at us. But he goes, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to take care of you. And so then he goes on to the church at Thyatira that we'll see in a couple weeks. Well, I can certainly read this and say, boy, I see what the problem was there. And I wish I could pretend that it's not a problem that the church has today, but I can't pretend that because the truth is and really the message that Jesus has for this church is you are to stand out as being distinct and different from the world in which you live now at the same time he was also letting them know if you are faithfully who you're supposed to be it's going to cost you you are going to possibly be martyred and with that being the case are you prepared for that? Do you understand that the only power that you have as Christians is that you offer a different worldview than the world is offering? And the great danger that you have is cultural appropriation where the church becomes so much like the world that you can barely tell the difference? Yeah, it, it works well if you're just looking at, well, look at how many people like this. We are always tempted to say, how can we make the church more relevant? And why do we say that? Because the truth is, the more relevant our church becomes, the more people it will attract. And that's certainly true. But is that what Jesus wants from them? There's a reason why he tells them, hey, I'm coming with a knife. I am going to cut down the middle. Those who are representing me and those who aren't and their issues were, and again, you understand it, but hey, you're right, Balaam, this is way easier. This is kind of cool, and you know, I met the love of my life when we went to that, you know, that dance with the, you know, with the people from you know, the Moabites. So it's like, or boy, that first deacon got killed for preaching. Look at what we do now. People like us. We've actually become more friendly. We've become more seeker-friendly. We're making our church a place that actually attracts people. How could that be wrong? Well, it's no problem if you don't have Jesus saying that that's not the way you're supposed to do it, that that is actually the opposite of that. And let's face it. Now, the reason people try to culturally appropriate is because we think that the more we can draw people to the church, the more we are doing a great work of God. But I will ask you, what happened in the first century? Why did Jesus, there are none of these seven churches that Jesus wrote to where he said, you know what, I want to tell you, first of all, your numbers are up. Great job. He doesn't seem to be impressed. But again, if, and there are people who, misquote scripture, misunderstand it and say, you know, Paul said, you know, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. 
Well, if you read that verse in the original, it doesn't say all means. And the sum, the implication is some, not many. He didn't, Paul didn't adapt to culture. Paul, what he's talking about there is, I gave up my own cultural prejudices so that I would talk to people who I thought were disgusting. He wasn't saying, well, I found so many great methods that would allow me to do God's work. And, you know, you can sometimes look at Christianity today and think, man, it looks a lot like the great hospital in Asclepios. It looks like, wow, we can get all great therapy and, and we get great encouragement and, oh, there's so much to read and there's so much. And it's like, that's exactly the opposite of what he's doing. If, in fact, you judge God's effectiveness in the church by how big we are, then what does that say about Jesus? He, at one point, spoke and, gave and fed loaves and fishes to like 17,000 people. And then he did it to another, you know, four to 8,000 another time. Preached to lots of people. In the end, his followers were dwindled down to 120 by the upper room. And then a few people cheering as he goes into the city. And then as he's hanging on the cross, how many followers does he have? Man, it's his mom, a couple of her friends, and John. Everybody else had bailed. So if, in fact, I'm going to say, wow, there's a lot of people here today. I must be doing something good. Instead, I should be a little more suspicious. Like, man, maybe I haven't been blunt enough if more people are coming. But it's absolutely ridiculous to think that I know better than Jesus. And like Paul, who went and planted churches all across Europe, and then in the end, he's in prison, and he has like no friends, and churches aren't supporting him, and he's written half the New Testament, and yet he's just got a couple of guys with him in jail, and they're depressing him. And what happened? Why did he not experience spiritual success? Well, this is what spiritual success looks like. Now, you go, but what about the Great Commission? Aren't we supposed to go take the world for Jesus? It doesn't say that. He does, says to, he does say to go into the world and preach the gospel. But think about the final, the last Great Commission that we have in Acts 1.8 where Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, you will receive power, dynamic, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my martyros. You will be my martyrs. Not you will be people who get a bunch of attention. Not you will draw all men, you know. No. He's saying, you're called to be martyrs. That's the message of the Great Commission. And who in the world now... All over the world, there are, like we talked about last week, there are Christians all over the world who are literally being killed for their faith. Do we think that that's because they don't have enough Christian movies? Do we think that it's because they haven't learned to be hip and cool and have music that relates to the culture? Or is there something going on here that Jesus is hinting at that, hey, when people are drawn to you, and when you are deciding how to do church based on what's going to be attractive, I'm coming with a sword. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. Now, 
again, I, I would, I, I'm kind of, you know, a part of me is certainly, you know, with Nicholas of Antioch. Let's just not make people mad at us. Okay, let's just fly under the radar. Let's just not make waves. And yet, everything I read in the entire New Testament and everything that I read from Jesus says specifically this. What he is saying here, he hasn't changed his tune at all. If you are being faithful, you are going to suffer. His image of the church is not of this great growing that whole idea of the church growing, 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 and take over the world, that's not from Jesus. That's actually from people, post-millennialists, who teach that if we get big enough, then Jesus will return. No, we know. It's going to be bad until the end. Jesus made that clear. And when it looks like it's all over, boom, he's going to come, and he's taking care of things. You don't like that? I'm sorry. I mean, I... Trust me, there are plenty of churches you can go where they'll just pat you on the back and whisper sweet things into your ears and you can let the snakes crawl around you and think that this really worked. The church, according to the Bible, is not show business. It is not like, how can we use the culture in order to make something that's going to impress them? We've tried that for the last hundred years. Everything that we do ends up being a really cheesy Christian version of what the world is doing. You know, and that's, and one thing my granddaughter Sadie was over last night, and we like to, we'll look for the lowest rated movie that we can find. And then we'll watch it and see what bad acting looks like. And they're usually Christian movies. And it's like, there you go. Church is not show business. It isn't. It is never, if, if you think that Christian is entertainment, smoke and mirrors, lights, and look at all the people, Jesus would be like, I don't even recognize that as a church. Church is also just not a big library. It's not a place where you can learn enough information. That's not what it is either. Church is not a place for you to come and get well. It's not a place of therapy and healing. It's fine that there are places that do that. That's not the role of the church. The church is the place where you come and you commit your life to Jesus Christ and Jesus teaches you how to live and he teaches you how to die. And that's, it's that simple. And that's what he's, he's just trying everything he can to communicate this to Pergamos because they're running the risk of becoming the coolest, hippest church in the city of Satan, in Satan's world. The church that Satan likes to, yep, I sometimes go to church. It's that one, Pergamos, that's where I would go. That's not who we are. That's not who he is. And it's so, and I get, and I understand the whole attractional model for church. Because the truth is, every one of us wants to belong. I want to be somewhere where I feel like, wow, this is home. I really belong here. Now, I'm sure you've, if you've been a Christian for very long, you've had several churches where you went and you felt like you belonged for a while, and then you didn't. The truth is, in this world, in this life, get used to it. This isn't the place where you belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. We do the best we can while we are here, but we want to be faithful representatives of who Jesus is 
And that may make us a target. You don't need to go out of your way to be a target. It will happen naturally. Sooner or later, we will run counter to our culture unless we sell out and we become a, a reflection of an antique version of our culture. We start doing things that our culture was doing long ago, and we're like, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is a great compromise. Church in Pergamos, Jesus goes, I'm coming with a sword, man. You are destroying everything that you're supposed to be. You are losing your distinctness because you're trying to placate the culture. You're trying to use cultural appropriation and letting the synagogue of Satan tell you how to do church. And he goes, I'm coming. And you're not going to hear me. But when I come, boom, this is going to happen. This church is gone. Here are three cities that we've looked at so far. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. They were the three prominent cities in Turkey for the Roman Empire. And the choice always was, are you willing to suffer? Or do you want to be comfortable and die? Personally, it's convicting for me because I think, how much of what I think of church is really just what our culture tells me church should be? That it's not like, well, if I did this, then people may leave. Or if I said this, then people may get offended. Or if I said, and it's like every, every day, every week, I have to ask myself, what are you willing to lose? Um, are you willing to have people be offended and leave, but at least know that you tried to tell them the truth? So if you're here today and you're offended there are plenty of other places where you won't be. I have no problem with that. But if what I'm supposed to do is to represent Jesus, and if our church is supposed to be a place that represents his heart, then we need to expect it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be comfortable. And the day may come when we have to choose between doing what placates people are doing what's right and what represents him. Thanks for joining us today for The Balanced Word with our pastor and Bible teacher, Dave Rolfe. We're developing a series on the seven churches of Revelation. And stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call us and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go Through the Bible in a Year with Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or go to thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can also watch them on Instagram or Facebook by following CC Pacific Hills. We'd love for you to join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45, and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. 
And you could watch our live stream there too, ccpacifichills.org. Can we pray for you? Just contact us through thebalancedword.com and leave a prayer request. Or again, call 949-362-7475. Now let's return to Pastor Dave as he closes things out in prayer. Lord, thank you for this letter that we really don't like hearing. We would hate it if we got this letter and you were giving us these warnings. And yet we have got this letter and you are giving us these warnings. Lord, may we be faithful. May we get over our addiction to approval. May we get over our addiction to show business. May we get over our addiction to being cool. May we instead just live our lives representing you well, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And may we be ready to accept the fact that we will not belong here ever that we'll survive here because we know that this world is not our home, that you have another world prepared for us. Help us not to be desperate to fit in, but help us to embrace the opportunity to be different for you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll continue to look at the letters that were written by Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor next time on The Balanced Word with Dave Roth. This program is presented by Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hands, and the instrument I play, wake up my